What's up, family? Welcome back to the Stop Sinking Show, where we go from struggle to flow. I really want to do the Ed Milet beginning of his podcast. This is the Stop Sinking Show. Let me know what you guys think about me doing that. On this episode, I'll be discussing the dichotomy of desire. We've been taught contradictory beliefs to hold about many things in life. And not surprisingly, what side of that contradiction you decide to side with tends to determine what kind of life you're living. And that is why living is an art. Because not so much of any theory of how to live is scientifically proven. It is art because it's about picking the right tool for the right job at the right time and having the discernment to do so. If you pick a wide roller to paint intricate edges, you probably wouldn't end up with the masterpiece that you expected. And much of life is like this. It's not that any particular tool is wrong. It's just that we pick them up at the wrong times. Now, let's first get the contradictory beliefs out in the open to discuss. The first belief is rooted in ancient wisdom about desire that looks at desire as something to get rid of. Quotes like, By desiring little, a poor man makes himself rich. The less you desire, the happier you are. And all that line of thinking that says desire is something to be minimalist with. The second set of beliefs is the polar opposite. Placing desire at the heart of all accomplishment. The wisdom is no less rooted in ancient wisdom. In the Proverbs, it reads, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is the tree of life. So clearly, both of those beliefs are hard to reconcile with each other. And again, it's not that any of those tools are wrong, but which one should you pick up? Which one of those beliefs serves you best? And depending on your temperament and or how optimistic or defeated you're feeling in life, you probably use those feelings to gravitate to one or the other. And that is a place we can begin this discussion. Since neither one of the thinking is right to live by 100% of the time, it matters then to figure out which one to pick at the right time. And if you are basing what to believe based off of temporary emotions or temporary defeated states you find yourself in life, you might find yourself in a worse off place than where you started out if you pick the wrong thing. So here's how I process this for myself. There are times in my life where picking the tool that gives me peace is the right thing to do. Where what I desire feels so far away from me, times when those moves ahead of me are so unclear and they just give me so much angst that to give myself peace, I've tried to temper my desire. And I found that could be the most damaging thing I can do for myself in those moments. Sure, simmering my desire can make me feel better and give me temporary peace, but it does very little to make any material change in my life. 
really, it actually creates a life where I have less and less of what I once desired in my reality to experience. And now leaves me with an even more diminished chance and even weaker stance, even more further and further set back from where it is that I could have gone if I had just kept that desire firm. Meaning it increases my dependence now on the belief that desire is evil and is something I should get myself away from and to feel content with what I have is the way to be. Especially the further and further I take myself away from pursuing said desire, the more I have to rely on this thinking that desire is something to be rid of and to be content with what I have. And in no humble fashion, I realize that this belief is really set up as a pacifier to those who have been given a bad lot in life. And again, it's a tool but sometimes a weaponized tool that can be used as a tool to dig yourself out of dread and at the least not make yourself more miserable with your thinking than what your life is already making you feel. But really this belief can be weaponized and handed over to you as a crutch to lower your expectations and lower the expectations of those who already have very little in life. And those whose reality does not match what they would otherwise pursue. And this belief can be handed to them to help them be at peace with what they don't have by telling them to simmer their desire so they don't even want more. And like I said, in moments where my life is far from what I imagined for myself, this thinking of lowering my desires can be quite attractive and precarious. Now, I want to argue for why Maintaining your levels of desire, no matter how attractive simmering them may seem in those moments, why maintaining your levels of desire, even when you feel overwhelmed by them, when you have no how to them, how maintaining it can still be the most productive belief to hold. And the first way that this presents itself to me as the right way of thinking is by assessing the simple fact of where our current times in our society has brought us and remembering where we came from. We come from a time where people aspire to be Renaissance men. I've talked about my fascination with Benjamin Franklin and to me it seems that society has moved far away from the Benjamin Franklins, the multidisciplinary competence that the greatest men in history aspired to and actually executed on. And we can make the argument that we live in the era of specialization and how the countless lanes a person can go down, it's probably most beneficial to pick one thing and do that well. You can't ride two horses with one ass, right? You can't wear two hats at the same time. You, you shouldn't chase two rabbits or you won't catch either one. And as much as my life has taught me that being a generalist doesn't make you great in any one area and actually reduces your chances of being recognized in any, I can't help but think of why. Why could the greatest men in history do it? What was it about the greatest men in history that didn't limit them by this same thinking? What limitations are put upon us that they didn't have? And part of the answer points to sheer bandwidth. We have way more information and way more distractions today than men in the past ever did. 
and just the split focus and the ability to wield the focus and energy itself makes it a wiser decision because we don't have the ability to wield it. it makes it a wiser decision to take whatever attention you do have left and put it towards one thing. And that's why maybe why we're just specialists today because our bandwidth only allows us to get good at one thing. Because if you're already split and have very little bandwidth left and maintain the desire to be a renaissance man, you spread that already diminished attention across all areas and you will most likely be mediocre at best at any of them. Which means so far, the theory of limiting your desire to a singular focus and to adjust that desire in accordance to what resources you have available seems like the right approach. So then how is it productive to hold the belief to desire more and more? Why am I saying that it's still a more productive belief to hold to maintain your level of desire even if you're overwhelmed by them, even if you don't have the attention to give to all of them? And if I can acknowledge your challenges that the world is full of distractions today and all the challenges that that presents to you, to me, to all of us, then I also want to provoke your thinking with some other ideas that might expose how despite the distractions, it is our temperance of desire that has even made way, had, has left room for the distractions to even take hold. I'm sure even in your most immediate circle of friends, you have those that vary in their daily consumption and indulgences of distractions from social media to dating to movies to mind-numbing entertainment. And you probably also have seen yourself or have other people who limit these distractions, who don't use their phone at the beginning of the day, who are really conscious about these things. What I've seen as a correlation, at least some form of relationship, and I don't know which is the chicken or the egg, but what I'm thinking is what came first is the lack of desire. But I don't know what the chicken or the egg is. We can ponder on that. What I've seen is that the person who has most self-direction is the least distracted. And the one who's most indulgent in distractions is the one who is least self-directed. And I've seen this play out at different times in my own life. Because we don't maintain our level of direction at all times. We all get lost. When I have less purpose and the work that comes with following that purpose becomes less and less clear to me, those times, the same part of me that's hungry for accomplishment fills that time with distractions and destruction. And since most of purpose is rooted in seeing a desired outcome in the world, in your world maybe, hopefully something bigger than you, it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to say then that distractions limiting us today from becoming like the greats of history who were great at so many things at the same time that the reason for that less than greatness that we are today is due to being sold this theory of desiring less, of living within our means. It's leaving room for the distraction because we desire less. Which, side note, to me sounds like an awful lot like scarcity thinking. Desiring less. Live within your carpet's length. Live within your means. And you are being sold this. And why are you being sold this? Let's explore why. 
I'll go into this explanation with a story. Seeing India as an adult for the length of time that I'm here now has caused me to notice things and think about them at a much deeper level than I've ever had before. One constant thing that has always stuck out to me was the poverty. Something I'll talk about much deeper on a deeper level at a different episode. And in seeing it every day, the poverty every day, and employing people with full-time salaries that I'm giving them, that would still be considered poverty. And has made me think deeply about what is broken in this society here if that's the case where people earning full-time salaries are still living in a different, completely different India. It's almost like a tale of two Indias. One that serves at a restaurant and one that can afford to eat at that same restaurant. And unfortunately, unlike the developed world where the servers probably make enough in tips to out-earn some of the patrons, the gap between the middle class, even, and the working man is an extreme. And now, while the poor don't have much, remember that this ancient Eastern philosophy is teaching them to be happy with what they have and desire less. The problem is that desiring less is not a human trait. We are insatiable creatures and always want more and more than what we have today. Your stomach is never full enough to keep you full for a week. You always want more. And the problem is that a lot of us are crushed by our insatiable nature, are crushed by the insatiable nature of our desires, and have accepted our crushed state, which again is contradictory to how we're designed. So what happens when we just accept this crushed state? but it's a contradiction to who we are. I'll tell you what happens. Even in a poverty-stricken country like this where working wages don't even allow you to eat at the same places, eat the same dishes. And I mean, I spend on one meal what it takes someone three to four days to earn. Even in a place with such a disparity, guess what happens that points to the dissonance your body is feeling by stuffing its desire? Guess what happens? Even in a poverty-stricken country like this with low wages and not enough food to bring home to your family, the first stop that you will make, the first stop that these people make is line up in long lines at liquor stores to drown their sorrows. And we've talked about the pain of idleness before, the frustration from an innate desire to put in effort and not having any prospects or opportunities to, to give a comparable level of reward for that effort. So people resort to increasing peace through substances where there is no prospects for progress to exercise their ambition. And I say all this to say that in a way, society is teaching you, it's set up to keep you desiring less because it is better for the demands you will put on society to provide you with a comparable reward if you desire more. It will have to work. Society will have to expand when you demand more. When you expand your self-worth, society will have to expand to meet you, to provide you with a comparable reward. You are being taught to be easily satisfied, and this should anger you, not make you complacent, 
or accept it as an analgesic. The reason why it's so easy to get you to believe this, that it's okay to desire less, to just have less, is because one of your other contradictory desires inside of you is to want a life of ease. We want to do as minimal as possible to survive. And if that is managed for us, like it is in some parts of Europe, if that baseline is protected and not at risk, very few of us go out of our way to put ourselves in discomfort to desire more and to do the difficult work that comes with the follow-up to that desire, going after it with work. And not surprisingly, the entire goal of society is to raise the baseline to minimize the risk to your survival so that you are pacified enough to pursue only pleasures, knowing that all your progress is hinged on desire, much of which, for most people, will have been drowned out by simply, simply by just getting their head above water so they can breathe. And sadly, many of us are drowning in our own debts and destruction that just getting our head above the surface is good enough and a good enough place for us to want to exist for the rest of our life. But while the efforts of raising the baseline takes time and eventually reaches your neighborhood, until then, most of us resort to quick and dirty ways to distract ourselves. Because we have no other way of realizing purpose. And what I can tell you from being in a country where poverty is more visible is that everyone is benefiting from the lot of people who are quickly and easily satisfied. And if that's you, that should anger you. They are benefiting, everyone is benefiting from your willingness to be easily satisfied. And until the common man is less intoxicated and desires more and ultimately demands more for his effort, everyone benefits from the cheap labor and the status quo. And you think they're just gonna willingly give that up? You think they're just gonna willingly double your salary just because? If all these people who are standing in lines at the liquor store had an awakening in consciousness out of their drunken state and woke up tomorrow with higher self-worth, there would be a revolution. And guess what? As uncomfortable as it would be for the status quo, this revolution would actually bring about more progress to the country than anything else ever could. It would bring this country 30 years forward. But no one else wants you awake. No one else wants you wanting more. The more easily satisfied you are, the less you think you're worth, the cheaper you are to maintain. And to bring the point home full circle, it is this satisfaction with so little that is at the root of us being so much less than the Renaissance men of history who were great at many things at once. Being well-rounded is almost a thing you barely hear of nowadays. But everybody acknowledges a well-lived life fills all the buckets. Family, interests, friends, pursuits, passions, craftsmanship, innovation, enterprising, expanding knowledge and wisdom, spirituality. The fact that we're so quickly satisfied with 
and being sold the idea to just be satisfied with filling one or two buckets is the least human thing there is. And all that extra time that is not spent filling the other buckets that you truly want and your body is signaling at all times that you don't see, all that extra time is being preyed upon by the thousands of distractions vying for your attention 10 seconds at a time. And I feel the challenge. Really, to be a renaissance man today, you would have to fight back for your attention from the grips of what has hold of it 10 seconds at a time. What an exhausting position we've put ourselves in. The overarching point I'm making is that the underlying desire has never faded away. It just gets stolen by distractions and drugs and drowned out by your misery. But you want to be more. You let yourself off the hook when you don't know how to be that. And everyone else is hell-bent in letting you off the hook too. All the while giving you their poison to sip on and binge on. So let's be clear, because the devil is in the details always. It is important what you desire. A lot of times when desire is misinterpreted as bad is because it is advisable to not be ruled by your desires, but to rule them. Achieving victory over your own desires is quite nuanced. Because again, it doesn't mean to not have any desires. It means to have desires aligned with what moves you forward and not have a bunch of contradiction in your desires. If you have contradictory desires, like you desire comfort and ease, but also desire fame and fortune, chances are you will have to overcome one desire to conquer another. But the black and white thinking and labeling all desire as evil without seeing the nuance is where we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Desire is the core to life. It is the tree of life, like the Bible says. Without it, what grows? And how do you even know? So you want to be a renaissance man today? Should you abandon your singular focus? No. There are seasons in life. And you will have time to fill your buckets. I just hope you remember that you should and could and would have more if you allow more. If you just want more. And you can have the most if you never stop wanting and going after it. I love you, family. Stay true always. See you on the next show.